When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode, I sit down with Katie Elliott to talk about how you can be kinder to yourself. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps. Big change, big change, big change. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps. Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, I'm sitting down with Katie Elliott. Katie is the founder of the Little Challenges Project, and just based on the name, you can probably tell it is something that is after my own heart. She's also the host of the Adventures in Behavior Change podcast and the creator of Amico Cards. A former children's author and illustrator, jazz musician, and social entrepreneur, Katie works from her home in the UK. We are here to talk about how you can be kinder to yourself. This is something that you guys have heard me mention this probably a thousand times by now. Like In this journey, when you are trying to change major parts of your life, when you're trying to become better, you have to have to start with kindness. You have to start with understanding that failure is going to happen, understanding that you're not going to be perfect and you will never be perfect. And you'll probably never fully achieve whatever that vision in your head is. But as long as you wake up every day and start taking some kind of action, some kind of progress, then you deserve to uh, recognize that in yourself and be kind when you screw up. So I'm really excited to have Katie on to to break that down for us and really give us a process of how we can sort of build this into our lives and into our own journeys. So with all of that said, Katie, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Craig, I'm delighted to join you. Thank you so much. So I'm um, I'm really excited for this conversation, uh, but I would love to just very quickly uh, learn a little bit more about little challenges and also just purely out of my own curiosity, what are Amico cards? <laughs> Great. So Little Challenges is a project that I set up just over two years ago. And I set it up because I spent about 32 years of my life with increasingly severe mental health problems. Mm. So I spent literally decades struggling with anxiety and depression and perfectionism and overwhelm. And along the way, I picked up all kinds of diagnoses. Eventually, I I ended up labeled as bipolar and having borderline personality disorder. And I kind of reached crisis point back in 2016. And things came to a head and I, I realized that I just couldn't carry on the way I'd been doing things because if I did, I I wasn't going to survive. So what happened was after a period in hospital, I came out and I I decided I was going to try and learn how people were psychologically healthy because I never had been, but I'd met people who were, and I felt sure that if some people could do it, then, then maybe I could learn. Right. So I started reading a lot of books and watching a lot of 
videos and just trying to inspire myself. And, and I started learning a lot of things that were different from how I'd been behaving in the past. And, and I tried to put them into action in my own life. But I realized that the main thing that I had to change was that in the past, I, I had really believed that out there, there would be some kind of magic solution. You know, it's going to be uh, a one size fits all answer that I could just buy or just something that I could do that was going to make me okay. Mm-hmm. So I felt really deeply not okay, but I thought out there somewhere, there would be something that I could invest in and that I could try really hard to do. And that would make me okay. And the big piece of learning for me, which is why I love, <laughs> I love what you're doing so much. The big piece of learning was there wasn't one big thing that was going to change my life. I had to learn a lot of really small things and I had to learn how to do them in tiny incremental ways. So Little Challenges is a place where I collect information about really good ideas from neuroscience, from behavioral psychology, from philosophy, from people's real life experiences about how we can live healthier, happier, saner lives. And I try to encourage people to break them down into little pieces that they can do gently every day. Absolutely love that. Um, And I, I think what I love most, because we're clearly very in line uh, philosophically around how we solve this problem. But I love how it came from your own personal struggle. Um, What, uh, so, so just very quickly, I'm looking at the, uh, for, for those of you listening to this, I'm, I'm on the Indigo Indiegogo right now for Amico cards. Uh, Could you tell us just a little bit about what these are and sort of how you're positioning them to help solve that problem? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a great believer that we have a lot of internal wisdom that we don't necessarily know how to access, but I I think we're all capable of being our own expert. And I think a lot of the problems that I had with my mental health came down to the fact that I was looking for someone on the outside to tell me who I was and what was wrong with me. And I found a lot of relief in actually finding out for myself who I was and Mm -hmm. finding out what helped me personally. So I think we're all slightly different and there are patterns in the way that we behave and the way we think and our experiences, but we're all totally unique. And and so I think you have to be really careful when you're talking about how we can help ourselves because something that's great for me might not work at all for you. So a lot of what I do is try to encourage people to tune in to what they know about themselves and and learn to trust that a little bit more. So Amico cards are a self-coaching tool. The idea is that they're a pack of playing cards that you can literally just play games with. But uh, on each card, there's a reminder of something that we know from from science and research, something we we know can help us to feel better at times when maybe we're not feeling so great. Mm. And the way that you use the cards is simply that you, you go through them and you look at them, and they're designed to be really nice in the hands and to look really beautiful. You look through them and you just ask yourself, what would help me right now? What would help me to feel just a little bit better? So you might be, you might be lying in bed feeling so depressed you can't move, but you might just be able to look at a few cards and think, would anything here just feel nice to me right now? Or you might be like, I often find myself at my computer. I've been working a bit too hard because I love what I do and I forget to switch off. (laughs) You know, those moments when you've just been doing a bit too much and then suddenly you feel like you're kind of out of the flow of things. Nothing's working quite right. And you can't think what to do to help yourself. And you know that you know all these really great ideas 
and particularly you and me, I would imagine, because we spend a lot of time talking about these really great ideas. But yeah. in the moments when I need them most, I frequently can't remember what they are. So for me, I designed this as a tool for myself. It's like, how can I help myself remember things that make me feel good? Like going for a walk in nature, making myself a cup of tea, going and giving my son a cuddle, you know, just loads of things like that. Mm-hmm. They're really simple things, but generally when I get into that state of not being able to think clearly or feeling a bit miserable or being really tired and lethargic, uh, I feel as though I need to kind of turn my world upside down. I feel like I need to do a big thing to make myself feel okay. And almost always I find that relief comes from those really little things. So Amico cards are a self-coaching tool. They're a way to remind yourself of things you already know, but might just have forgotten. I love that. And and looking at the picture here, because I know uh, uh, people listening can't see it. It's literally like picture a, a standard deck of cards, like playing cards. You've got the different suits um, that but much more colorful. The image is something representative of what that sort of challenge is. And then uh, it's something as simple as make a hot drink or listen to music or go for a walk. So I absolutely love that. And uh, I'm going to before we jump into the conversation on kindness, uh, in this episode's show notes, you'll find a link for uh, Amico cards because I, I highly recommend you just take a look at it, see if it's something that you might find helpful. Uh, so, Katie, thank you for for giving us the background. Let's talk about being kind to yourself. This is something that people struggle with, and when I really try to to think like in my own life, I I struggle with this when it comes to my own personal development in any area of my life, but I can't quite understand why it's so difficult to do. (laughs) Like we have to live with ourselves. We are us. So why is it so hard to be kind to that person when we can be kind to everyone else? (laughs) It's one of life's great mysteries, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's so back to front. And I tell you what else is back to front in my experience. And I'm only one person. So, you know, I can only speak from there. But in my experience, very often the people who are hardest on themselves, who are meanest to themselves on the inside, are the people who most want to be kind to other people. Have you found that? Mm. Yeah, I have. (laughs) They're very often people with high standards, people who are very giving, people who really want to make a positive contribution in the world and would never, ever dream of speaking to anyone else the way they talk to themselves inside their own heads. No. And often when they hear other people speaking to themselves in a a mean way, they're the first to call them out. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So there's a double standard going on there, isn't there? It's strange. Yes. So that's kind of the problem I've noticed in my conversations with lots of different people, many of whom are struggling with their mental health in terms of not necessarily a serious diagnosis, like the ones that I used to have, but no longer Mm -hmm. do. But, um, you know, people who on a low level, maybe are feeling a bit anxious, a bit agitated, a bit, just a bit fed up. Mm -hmm. What I hear cropping up over and over again is that, that that person is talking to themselves really harshly. They don't necessarily recognize it, but you can hear it. They'll say things like, well, you know, I just should have done that better. And I'm, I'm so stupid. I always do that. And um, I should be more like him or her or you know, they, they just they say nasty things about themselves, things that they wouldn't say to their friends or their family. Yeah. And it's almost kind of invisible to them a lot of the time. But we know when you look at the research, you know that that kind of internal monologue 
is very often associated with people experiencing anxiety and depression. And it's mm-hmm. not really surprising, is it? Because if you've got yeah. that running in the back of your mind, I think of it a bit like, it's like a kind of malware. <laughs> you've got your computer <laughs> running, you've got something going on in the background and um, it, it just undermines you just a little bit all the time. And it also, uh, whether you recognize that it's there or not, managing it takes up energy. It takes up your bandwidth to, to have that going in the background. So you can very easily end up noticing that you feel a, a bit disheartened, a, a bit hopeless about what's possible for you, a bit pessimistic, a, a bit critical, a bit tired, a mm-hmm. bit like it's not even worth trying. And it's quite easy for us to get into a state of learned helplessness. Like we know, we know that when people repeatedly are discouraged, they're in a situation where something always results in something that hurts them or or turns out badly for them, that at a certain point, they tend to stop trying. Yeah. So it's not really surprising that if we have a kind of low level criticism and unkindness running in our minds all the time, like a kind of constant narrative, that it can have a massive impact, not just on our mood and how we feel, but also on our productivity and our ability to do the work that we love and kind of go out into the world and make a difference in the way that we want to. Mm -hmm. And it can also, even though we often think it doesn't, it can have a massive impact on our relationships with other people. Yeah. So what I'm, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, what I'm hearing is that there's, there's almost this, low hum going on in the background of our lives where in in very tiny moments we are uh, sort of approaching things from an unkind place to ourselves or a negative place to ourselves but just based on history and and we're not even necessarily aware of it it's just happening in the in the the uh, subconscious and then that makes it more difficult when something big actually happens where you fail at something or you're, you're trying towards a specific goal and you forget to that day or whatever it is, like just because of that low hum in the background, it becomes far more difficult to be kind in the bigger moments. Is that accurate? I would say so. I mean, I'm just talking experientially from my own life, but I I would say that that's the case. So I think it becomes habitual. I think we get Mm -hmm. used to talking to ourselves like that and probably that voice that's running, it's probably a combination of lots of different things that we've heard said to us at some point in our lives. You know, we don't have to kind of psychoanalyze the whole whole thing, but but probably there have been all sorts of well-meaning comments over the years that we've internalized. And we've got, we're kind of using it as a self-protection mechanism. So like we're very yeah. social animals. It's really in our interests to fit in to be well-liked by other people, to be accepted, to be part of the group. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not very long ago that our survival depended on it. And psychologically, it probably still does, doesn't it? Like we really, we need to be part of something. It matters yeah. to us to feel accepted. Yeah. So there's kind of a good reason for it, really, which is to have some way of making sure that you keep drawing yourself into line that you're not likely to fall out of the group, that you're not likely to do something that's going to really upset people or cause problems. Mm -hmm. That sort of makes sense. So on some level, internalizing those voices, I would guess is, is quite a sensible thing to do. Yeah. So what, um, in, in your experience, 
what has proved helpful in breaking out of that? Because of course, at some point it does matter uh, to not sort of do anything that's going to, to quote unquote, upset the larger group. But that becomes dangerous in the sense that it also holds us back from truly getting what we want or, or even pursuing those things. Uh, it, it, uh, eats at our own sense of self-confidence. So what has been valuable for you and, and anyone that, that is uh, close to you that maybe has struggled with this as well in solving this and just sort of getting out of that, that place? Yeah. Well, I, I, I totally agree that it is problematic. So it starts off maybe as a good thing and then it very easily tips into something that we're doing too much of and then yeah. that becomes habitual and it gets out of control. And it's like a lot of things like we, our world is a very complex place and our brains are clever enough to be able to make simple models for us of how the world works and how we fit into it. And a lot of the time that's really helpful because if we couldn't simplify the information that's coming our way, we wouldn't be able to do anything at all. So we make these mental models, but sometimes they aren't helpful or aren't accurate. And then we end up with cognitive distortions where we see the world through a particular lens and it's not actually accurate or, or acting in our favour but we just accept it as being that way. So I think that's kind of what's happening. It's coming from a good place originally, perhaps, but then it's becoming a, a distorted way of thinking and looking at the world that's no longer serving us and is actively destructive in terms of our own lives and our relationships with other people. So what I found helpful, can I tell you just a little story? Because I've got a story about how I learned yeah, to be kind please. to myself. So I was, I was about a month out of hospital after I had my breakdown three years ago. And when I came out of hospital, I had uh, attempted suicide. And when I came out, I made a public promise to some of the people that I cared about most that I would never, ever hurt myself again, which seemed like a really good thing to do at the time. And it was a really good thing to do. But about a month after I came out of hospital, I found myself in an even more difficult place than I had been before I ended up there. So mm. all of the problems that I didn't know how to deal with that led me to attempt suicide was still present in my life. But on top of that, there was the whole shame and stigma. And, yeah. I, you know, I felt so ashamed of myself for what I'd done. I've got two sons. I, it was unimaginable to me that I could have tried not to be here, but I had. And somehow I had to try and live with that. But I reached a point after about four weeks of being at home where life felt utterly intolerable. I had no idea how to bear it. Like minute by minute, it was excruciating. And one morning I got up and I just didn't know what to do. I knew I'd made this promise. I knew I couldn't hurt myself, but I didn't know how to keep being here because it felt too painful. And I went to my computer and I opened up a new blank document. And I found myself typing something and I was crying. So I wasn't even looking at what I was typing, but I started typing something. And I looked at what I'd written and it said, I'm going to help you get better. Yeah. And I was so surprised that I just wrote back to it. It's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, who am I talking to here? What is going on? So I started a two-way conversation with this 
other bit of myself, which called itself the coach. It said, I'm the the coach. I'm going to help you get better, but you've got to show up and you've got to write and talk to me every day for a year. And during that year, you're not going to hurt yourself. We're going to work through these things together. And if I hadn't thought I was mad before, I really thought I was mad then. <laughs> it just seemed ridiculous. It's like, what am I doing? Am I channeling something? What am I, you know, what is this? Anyway, for 15 months, every single day I wrote, I wrote to this other bit of myself. I wrote to the coach and every time I was happy or I was frightened or I was depressed or I didn't know what to do, I just showed up and I wrote about it. And here's what was so amazing about it. I can't tell you how many times I started writing something and I'd say, I don't know what to do about this. I really don't know how to solve this problem. And what I'd find myself typing back was, okay then, well, what I think you should do is this. And I would type something and then I would look at it and it was great advice. But I didn't know how to access that wisdom just within my own head. It's like it mm-hmm. had to come from somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> but it was the weirdest thing. It was, you know, I, I got to a point where it became quite familiar, this idea that I would ask a question and then I would find out what I thought after I'd written mm-hmm. it. So after about four months of doing this, I went back to the psychiatrist and I no longer qualified for any diagnosis at all. I was officially well for the first time in a long, a long time, a long time since I'd been a teenager. And I carried on writing and it literally saved my life. It helped me learn how to be kind because the voice that wrote back to me did not sound like the voice in my head. It sounded like the voice that came out when a friend came to me and I wanted to comfort them. It was a voice that was mine, but I never used it on myself. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love this. Um, just this idea of, and, and first of all, kudos to you for, for going on that journey. And, and I appreciate, and I really, really thank you for being willing to share that with us. Um, secondly, you've given me, and I'm sure other people listening, a new perspective on the role that writing and journaling can play in our mental health. Um, because this idea, and and correct me if this isn't the right way to be thinking about it based on on the story you just told, but this idea of writing as almost self-coaching, it's, it's like tapping into that secondary personality that is you, but not quite you in that moment and, and allowing yourself to find the answer that you do subconsciously know, but you can't access. Hmm. (laughs) It's, it's an extraordinary thing, but there's actually evidence to support why it works now. And I didn't know that at the time. Hmm. And it's not just about journaling, although for me and for people who like writing, I think to do it in some sort of written form can be incredibly effective. And we know that there's a lot of evidence showing that if you've had some sort of traumatic experience or you're trying to process something difficult, writing about it can be transformative. It can really enable you to move through those difficult, those difficult experiences. But 
it doesn't have to be written. So if somebody's not very comfortable with writing, if that's not their mode of doing things, it doesn't matter. I found after doing it for a while, I could do it in my head. And for the last, however long it's been, now I just do it in my head. So today, you know, I was in a situation where I was tempted to not be very kind to myself. And I can just talk, sometimes I'll talk out loud if I'm in the car by myself and nobody's going <laughs> to hear me. <laughs> um, but sometimes I'll just do it silently in my head and I'll say, okay, Katie, like, what do you need right now? What would help? How can we support you through this? And are you noticing how well you're doing? Did you notice that you just did that thing that you were terrified about and you got through it? You know, it kind of, it's like my little cheerleader. It's reminding me of the good stuff and it's helping yeah. me to cope with the bad stuff. So it's entirely possible to do it in your own head. But actually recently I read about a study at the University of Barcelona where they're experimenting with a virtual reality version of this, where they're, they're creating software where you can be your own coach or therapist so you can talk to yourself and explain how you're feeling and then using virtual reality you can be in a different position in a different body and hear mm -hmm. your voice differently and you can give yourself advice because there's there's a thing called Solomon's paradox which which is named after King Solomon who is famous for giving great advice but not so famous for the fact that he made terrible decisions in his own life right so the paradox is we humans are great at telling other people what to do. And we're really bad at telling ourselves that because we're so close and we, we don't have the perspective in the distance. So this virtual reality experience enables you to benefit from that. You can essentially tell somebody else what to do, but it's you you're telling. That is incredible. Um, so let's uh, let's as we as we wrap up here, let's try to tie this back as much as we can, because I think there's so much value here. But what can people who are, are struggling with being kind to themselves today, what can they do next in order to start moving forward and, and changing that relationship? OK, so the first thing we can practice doing and this all takes practice so there's the first bit of kindness. Know that it's going to take a little while to get good at this. It's not going to happen immediately. The first thing is to just notice that inner monologue when it's criticizing you, when it's telling you you can't do stuff, when it's telling you that you should be perfect or that you're not good enough or any of those nasty things we say to ourselves. The first thing is just to practice noticing that that's there, to be aware. The next thing we can do is to recognize it as something that human beings do. It's not just us. People do this stuff. And maybe at some point back, a, a, you know, along the way, it was useful. But the way that we tend to do it now often isn't. So we can recognize that that's a thing. And sometimes with people's inner critics, they give them names, they draw cartoons of them, they kind of, you know, embody them in some way. So they can mm -hmm. think of it as something separate from themselves, something that they can throw things at or, you know, insult, whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> but just kind of getting familiar with it and being able to go, oh, I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that thing. And I know it doesn't make me feel very good. And then from there, well, I think you have to kind of love it into submission. So if, 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 if somebody does something silly, you very often don't get a good outcome by just like yelling at them and punishing them and stuff like being gentle if, if it's a child or a, a puppy or whatever we know we know that if you want to get good results what you do is you you coax it you love it you support it you show it the right way to go you're gentle 
And so we can start to practice treating ourselves like someone we want to nurture, someone that we care about. And we can do that in writing. We can imagine ourselves sitting across from ourselves across a table, you know, imagine like move from chair to chair if you want to have a conversation where you're two different people, but, but to sort of mentally distance yourself from the cruel voice. And rather than telling yourself that you shouldn't be doing the cruel voice, which is the thing that we naturally do. Like, oh, I'm being mean to myself. Oh, I'm so stupid. I'm being mean to myself again. Like we just get into a a, a spiral that descends then because we shame ourselves and punish ourselves for doing the thing that's actually hurting us. So to treat it with a bit of amusement and a bit of compassion and say, hey, I'm doing that thing again. and, And kind of give yourself the equivalent of a hug on the inside. Go, you know, should we do something else now? <laughs> should we should we try a different kind of behavior? Should we have a chat about what might help? What would feel kind right now? To find some way of separating ourselves out from the voice that we believe is actually who we are and what we are and question that and challenge that a little bit and put ourselves into a place where we are taking on a nurturing role, where we're gonna we're gonna love that voice into something a bit gentler knowing that if what we value is doing good work and being a good person, we have to learn how to be kind to ourselves because when we're not, sooner or later it shows up. Like Sooner or later you reach the end of your tether and you hear those kind of cruel words coming out of your mouth towards someone else. And when that happens, it's it feels like the worst thing in the world, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And then inevitably you feel ashamed because you just said those things that you never want to say to anybody. You said them to someone else and that's not who you are and who you want to be. So you feel ashamed. And then if you're not careful, you just start punishing yourself all over again. So compassion and gentleness and kindness and a bit of, you know, let's not take ourselves too seriously. We do stupid stuff. We make mistakes. We're a bit silly sometimes. It's all right. We all do. It's okay. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, Katie, I, I just want to thank you for uh, being willing to jump on the show and share your personal experience, share the the journey you've taken and also tie that back to here's how you can apply this to your own life. Thank you so much. Uh, is, where can people, if they want to keep the conversation going with you, what should they do next? Thank you, Greg. Well, I'd love people to come find me and email me. I love, I love to be in touch with people and find out about other people's stories and experiences and gather up information about what's worked for other people in other parts of the world. So please, please do get in touch. Uh, I have recently created something called an A to Z resilience, and it's got lots of ideas, a bit like the one we've been talking about today, about how to help yourself be a bit stronger, do more of the things you love and fewer of the things that you don't, and just be a bit nicer on the inside. So I've created an A to Z of resilience, and you can get a free copy of that at my website. If you go to littlechallenges.com forward slash tiny littlechallenges.com forward slash tiny. That link is also going to be in the description and the show notes. Uh, Again, Katie, thank you so much for being here. For those of you listening, thank you for spending your time with us. I highly, highly recommend that you connect with Katie. Head over to littlechallenges.com forward slash tiny to get that free gift. Uh, And as always, if you haven't already, 
be sure to click subscribe to this show. But I highly, highly encourage you to also click subscribe on Katie's show. She's the host of the podcast Adventures in Behavior Change. Head over there, whatever app you're listening to this on, head over to that show, do a quick search and give it a listen. Click subscribe and let her know that we sent you. Thanks again to Katie. Thanks to you for listening. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day, every day.